welcome to the Modernizing Operating Models podcast presented by On The Mark. I am Anissa, an Operating Model Consultant, and today we are joined by Mark Voskola, founder of On The Mark, to discuss a topic that hits close to home, which is getting change to really stick. So over to you, Mark. Who are you? Hi, Anissa. Mark Voskola. Uh, founder, CEO, and um, of On the Mark, and the current managing principal. One thing I want to clarify in your introduction: we are not a boutique consulting firm out there doing organization design. We are the uh, uh, of global course. Leader. we are the global leader in collaborative <laughs> organization design work, and no one has done more uh, in terms of how many and throughout the world. So over 500 redesigns. Um, on almost every continent, um, just across type every type of industry. So we've got the scars to show it and the uh, also the real practical experience to talk about this work. So not from yeah, a Mark, in terms of uh, in terms of the scars showing it and the experience, I regularly see you meditate in a workshop just between a break, <laughs> in a break, just all of a sudden, just close your eyes, just quiet and uh, get up and then you know he's done this many many times to be able to be comfortable to do this yeah, yeah I, I think your, your point here Anissa is um, first of all every time I do this it's like the first time in many ways although there's not much I haven't seen in this work um, you know we, we laugh a lot about saying you can't make this stuff up where life is stranger than fiction there's not much I haven't seen and and but the appreciation and the depth of my appreciation for the work that happens in front of us for every project is is immense, um, and it's in many ways it's like the first time. Um, and I love this work. I'm passionate about this work. In many ways, this is my life's work. All right. Um, I'm also uh, uh, a father of two incredibly strong, beautiful, courageous daughters out in the world um, doing their thing. One's a consultant, another is an entrepreneur as they uh, um, started her own sustainable grocery store. I love my one of my favorite sayings, apple never falls far from the tree. And I have two beautiful <laughs> apples on the ground, uh, just building their own tree and, and uh, making their own lives. It's fun to watch that. Nice. Um, a wonderful partner, um, Susan, been together for four years um, for fun. I think it's important to know I uh, like good food and wine with friends and family. Uh, we're coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., uh, which is one of my favorites because it's just about food, fellowship, love, naps. Um, no, you don't have any gifts. It's really just about uh, <laughs> all the poor things in life. Um, and I like that simplicity. And uh, skiing and surfing are uh, two things that, uh, for me, are church, uh, nice. is, is where I most see God. I haven't seen you skiing and surfing. Maybe that's something we need to add to our objectives. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have some video of me falling over. <laughs> oh. All right, cool. So in this episode, we're going to immerse ourselves completely in the topic of how to engage with people in, in organizations with the purpose of solving business problems. Um, now, it, it's quite a broad topic but there's so many things we can unpack here and I want to I want to start having the conversation with you about um, 
what we would call traditional top-down approaches. Um, maybe you can unpack, first of all, what are we talking about when we talk about a traditional top-down approach? And, and, and secondly, what challenges do organizations face when they, when they use those approaches? I'm, uh, I'm reflecting on the question because my mind's racing um, with so many responses. So let me, let me, try, to, let me try to simply summarize. Um, for me, when we talk about top-down approaches, we're really talking about expert-driven approaches that are based on what we call change management, which is, um, you'll see in just a minute, is why I talk about change management really being dead um, and um, uh, lack any vitality. Um, uh, but let me, let me come back to that. Um, top-down approaches are really ones where are, are based on compliance and tell modes. So, um, so if you, th and are typically remedial, um, meaning after the fact, uh, oh, let's now do change management. Oh, now let's tell people what they're going to do. Um, you cannot tell people into change. And compliance-based approaches uh, based on carrot and stick solely um, are uh, bankrupt uh, of anything around engagement or, or uh, the human experience. Um, and um, telling, manipulating, cajoling, um, uh, really what they cause are reluctance and resistance. It is the source of reluctance and resistance. Um, Tell me more on that. Yeah, so that you hear a lot of change experts, makes me laugh, talk about reluctance and or resistance. Well, first of all, reluctance. Reluctance is always a natural order of things when change is upon us because we're asking, do we really need to change? What needs to change? And early in the change process, reluctance shows up, but the resistance element is made worse and reluctance turns to resistance um, um, based on telling uh, and compliance-based approaches because people naturally resist that kind of manipulation. And so what happens is people, change management experts, will basically talk about, oh, people are resistant to change. So we're going to tell them more and we're going to comply them more, which actually only serves to increase the resistance um, and skepticism and cynicism of people. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it goes contrary to this whole thing of our people are our most important asset, except when it comes to, um, except when it comes to making the business better, you know? Yeah, it's almost Everybody like they're brainless. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is, um, you, you know, it, it plugs, it plugs uh, telling manipulation compliance plugs right into our natural, um, our natural skepticism and actually then creates more of that. And people so, can only fake it for so long. So tell me more about, so you were explaining reluctance and resistance uh, to change. And then you dropped in the word manipulation in between. What what do, what do you mean by that? Like, well, what I mean is 
by manipulation is, is disingenuine, inauthentic um, efforts to help people change. But is it dis- disingenuine? I'm just curious, is it disingenuine or is it just really not knowing how to engage properly? Like just really not having the Well, I, I think there capacity. can be, I, I, th- I think ineptitude or incompetence mm. or not appreciating the, uh, us human beings as, a, as, as uh, complicated and complex we are, understanding that nuance. And it's one of the things that makes On The Mark entirely different than any other consulting firm out there in terms of how we do this work um, is um, I'm going to come back to uh, I'll come back to your question but a sidebar real quickly is design work is hard enough to do but it's not just about putting in a new operating model it's mm-hmm. about behavior change and 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 getting it to stick so the stickiness and the sustainability of our work is core to how we do our work. Um, the nice thing about compliance-based change and what I call manipulation um, is it's it's great for consultants uh, because they can move in and live there forever, right? And and it's like, oh, you need experts to come in and tell people how to change, which is totally mm-hmm unequivocally ridiculous um, and nonsensical. People run their lives every day um, and, and then they go to work and all of a sudden they're kindergartners or, sorry, that's a, that's a slight on kindergartners. That's not fair to them. Um, it, it, it's really what are all of a sudden they children, right? That they don't know, uh, you know, don't know how to do things. And so the thing about manipulation is about and I talk about disingenuous, inauthentic, um, uh, lacking uh, uh, compassion, empathy, care, um, what, use the words that you want, um, belief. You know, all of these things are critical. Um, and people can smell it when, those, when things like that are lacking. And yeah, it, it's like when you go to a town hall and you just think like, what am I doing here type of thing? And you can't connect. Yeah, well, it, it, it's why, but here's where we're getting to our solution. It's why a vision for a company and what a company or a business or an organization or a community is trying to do becomes so critical. Um, all the engagement research, all the engagement research points to not only how important is a line leader, which is what we learned in the 90s and the early 2000s, which I've always thought was bunk. It's not enough. Um, the importance of connecting to a purpose, a larger purpose for all of us, making a positive difference is critical. And so the job of a leader and a leadership team and all leaders is to help people understand where we're headed, why that's important, and help people connect to emotionally, head and heart engagement to that broader purpose. So, the, um, so if that purpose is superficial and shallow, what's the point, right? People are like, yeah. okay, so what? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. And, and so manipulation, inauthentic, disingenuous, apply to not only how we engage our people 
in organizations or in the community or politically. It's also uh, it's also the broader purpose. So 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 thanks for elaborating on that one. So with the traditional approaches, then would the opposite then be like this this bottom up sort of collaborative approach and and what does that look like because also there there's so much variation out there so there is and and there is and there's you know it's like anything else in capitalism uh let the buyer beware right um because there's a lot of people (laughs) who say they do stuff and 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 uh you look at it and you go it's it's uh it's shite um it's (laughs) it, it lacks substance um of course as critical i am i should say this as critical I am of other work going on. I'm more critical of the work that we do. So it applies, you know, it applies to, it applies to us as uh, not just others. Um, so let me yeah, so, let me answer yeah, your so question exactly. Let's talk about the thing itself. Like yeah, the let's talk about that question. So it really requires me to go back in time. Uh, my first organization design experience was in 1987, a long time ago. Um, Wham was still a thing. Boy George, um, uh, Bruce Springsteen's born in the USA, you know, um, uh, uh, Flock of Seagulls, uh, for those of you who are 80s, 80s music fans. Um, at any rate, that was my first redesign experience. But something else happened before then. Um, is I had, well, first of all, my master's degree is in marriage and family therapy with an emphasis on human systems and, um, and an emphasis on not so much Freud and Jungian, although that was part of the clinical experience and learning about that and how to intervene with that. But more importantly is family systems, uh, group systems, uh, group dynamics and how how we relate and how we work together can actually be the source of the problem. Um, fascinating. Um, if anyone yeah. is listening to this wants to read some incredible work, uh, you know, pick up some books for, by Virginia Satir, S-A-T-I-R, on people making, um, or um, Jay Haley. I will put that in the show notes. Yeah, good yeah, it, it, these are incredible authors. One of my favorite books, I need, and I need to mention this now. I was thinking about this as Evan last night. I woke up thinking about this, and um, one of my favorite all-time books is called by Jay Haley. is is a 120 pages read called "The Power Tactics of Jesus Christ," and it parables. Um, uh, Jesus's last three days <laughs> from the Garden of Eden till the time he's crucified and then returns. Wow. Here's here's what's important about it, and it's it's not it's not uh, it's not anti God or anything like that, but it ju- just shows the power of the victim mentality of one down. It shows the power of that, and and uh, without getting into politics. What's happening here in the U.S. Um, is uh, with one of our presidential candidates is a perfect illustration of this book. And now the reason that I'm raising this um, is it because it's one of the things about this change work. It's all about how we go about doing this. 
So in summary, my master's degree in marriage and family therapy was really cross-disciplinary between anthropology, um, sociology, and clinical psych. And it focused on human systems and how we relate and how we interact and how systems interact. Why that's important is because, you know, we have this saying it on the mark, nothing changes until behavior changes. You can do all the pretty pictures and stuff. And why that's critical is no different in families and group dynamics is patterns of behavior. We know this from neuroscience, patterns of behavior and relating to each other and how we interact and communicate our pain, our joy, um, our frustration, um, our skill sets, how we show up at work uh, and how we relate is a source of keeping things stable or homeostatic or also um, for change. And so our work, folks, first of all, this was a great epiphany to me. That's number one. Mm, yeah. Number two is in 1987, when I had this design experience, put that on the shelf for just a second. I'll come back to that. Before that, I was lucky, maybe not lucky. Maybe I made my own luck, but there were people around me and angels that really um, connected me into a program in the late 80s uh, by Nancy Reagan called Just Say No. And it was anti-drugs, anti-gangs, anti-violence in our communities. At that point, President Reagan invested millions of dollars into communities to get healthy and to do prevention and health promotion rather than uh, late intervention or remedial work. I was selected, uh, every state in the country had was able to select three or four people who would become part of a technical assistance group available to every city who got the who received these grants why this why this was critical in my career it changed the trajectory of my career um is because i was surrounded and bathed or steeped in a, a group of incredible community and economic development consultants who had been doing this work for their lives um and they taught me nurtured me guided me and one of the things that I learned at that that time is this most critical piece, which is our entire solution. Our entire solution is based on this: is the adage, "People support what they help to create." So the term "people support what they help create," I looked it up to see who who was the actual or, or what's the origin of that statement. Um, it, it's it's not fair, but the, the, the earliest one was Dale Carnegie, who talk, talked about people support the world that they help to create. Um, but I think the statement goes back farther, and so I, I don't think it's fair to give him, give him uh, credit for that statement. But here's the essence. When you're doing community and economic development work, it's not about experts coming in and telling you what to do which is basically top-down telling, compliance-based, I know more than you, it's, it's not, and, and which naturally sets up re reluctance and resistance, right? Feeds into the reluctance, yeah. the natural yeah. reluctance, yeah. and then just increases resistance. And what I was taught is how to do this work. And so my, not only was my group process skills from my family therapy work core to this, 
but then I learned really good facilitation skills and techniques, which I already had the basis from, from my family therapy work. And I came to realize that um, you can either wait to engage people when they're unhealthy in the clinical world, or you can try to engage them earlier upstream to try to help them keep their world, uh, help them be healthy, resilient, um, and, yeah, and, successful. and so make a choice. Yeah, make yeah. a choice. And, and, and this is where I thought, you know, this, this work doesn't just apply to communities and, econo- and uh, economic development and, 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 and our, uh, what have you but it's core to who we are as human beings. And so I want to talk about, in practical terms, people support what they help to create and how that's embedded in everything that we do, if and, you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, please. And, and also bring it to life in terms of what that looks like when you don't have that traditional approach, but that bottom-up approach in organizations, if that right. makes sense. Well, and I, and I think, uh, let me just plant this seed, Anissa. Don't let me forget to talk about what it takes for us as expert consultants to stay in that space of learning, of uh, genuine, inauth- uh, you know, authentic kind of uh, showing Expert up. or process consultant. Or maybe that's, well, that's the whole point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. You put right. the net, that's exactly right. But don't let me lose that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you uh, repeat what you want me to focus on first? Yeah, so people support what they help create, connecting that with with how can organizations sort of change through a bottom-up approach? Because it sounds fancy, right? Bottom-up, grassroots, whatever. But like, okay, then what? Every one of us probably as consultants, we've all done some sort of workshops or have experience with it. But what does it actually really mean? So first of all, it's not just bottom up, it's top down and bottom up and across. And I'm going to explain that in a little, and don't let me forget to kind of explain that to you because it's critical. Um, People support what they help to create is, is directly related and supports that whole statement of our people are our most important asset. What drives me nuts is if your people are the most important asset and you screen people and you select people to work for your organization and you believe they're the right people, why not tap into their into their genius and, all the, and the collective sum of their experience to have them solve real world, substantive, complicated and complex problems for your business? Why do you bring in the McKinsey's of the world and others to come in and tell you what to do. Uh, and, 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 and in some ways, rhetorically saying this to leaders is, do you really think, do you really think some expert consultant is going to come in and tell you something that your people don't already know? And which for me is a bit ludicrous and nothing wrong with McKinsey. There's a place for them in the world. Um, no, no. I, I get the point, and I think the point here is how do you how do you how do you actually live up to that statement of we really people are our most important assets? That's right. Well, the way you when do you that actually is, ignore them and pull other people in. <laughs> yeah. The way we make that real, um, and again, in our 34 years of doing this work, when I started this business, I knew that that was core to everything we did. Um, and, and 34 years later, we're still learning, 
we we're we're making it better. We're perfecting it. We're we're getting more talented at it. But still, um, it, it it's still an ongoing learning process. But at its core, at its core, our basic assumption is that there is more collective genius in how to solve complex and complicated problems for a business in your business than there is outside of the business. The problem for leaders, I'm just going to talk sidebar real quick. The problem for leaders is inherently they don't believe that, or they think it's better to have someone come in and tell them what to do because it gives them political cover in case it goes to hell in a handbasket. I had a leader once say to me um, uh, from a company uh, that is now, um, uh, that has been acquired, but um, uh, Thomson Reuters, uh, before it was just Thompson, I had a, a leader uh, say to me, Mark, we know your your solution is better than hiring um, a large consult, a known consulting firm. Um, but if all hell goes to all, if everything doesn't work and you've hired McKinsey, someone says, well, OK, you, you hired McKinsey and politically you're covered. But if all hell, if it breaks loose and something doesn't work and they say, Who, who'd you use? And they say, on the mark. They say, well, who's that? And why'd you use them anyway? And then politically, um, they're in danger. So um, so I think it's important to kind of frame that. Although 34 years later, we've done more design work than those firms probably combined. Real design work and real operating model work, not, uh, not fake stuff. Now, coming back to this people support, what they help create, the way we make this real is very simple is that we basically use um, talent in-house that is representative of the organization uh, uh, of whatever part of the business we're changing. And uh, we put together design teams um, that are representative of the organization for levels and tenure of all the ways that you can define diversity from the obvious of gender, skin color, um, age, to the less obvious, how we think, how we're respected, our credibility, our experience, um, 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 and, and all those more elements of diversity that are less obvious to everyone. Uh, that's number one, is we're going to use your people, um, and we're gonna, they're going to solve the problem. Number two is, even though we're experts in this work, we will guide them through a very rigorous process, step by step but we will never step into making decisions for the organization. We have this wisdom called um, anything you can tell, you can ask. And even though we're full of experiences that we can, we'll share, we can do that by asking them questions. Um, and we can do that by informing and educating the group, but we will never step into making decisions for them. Um, one point I want to make is some leaders to do this work in the way that we're doing it, it takes a lot of, lot of courage by leaders to do this work. The reason I say that is your more traditional leaders who believe in just tell people, and it's my job to tell people what to do, and they'll just get out and do it. Um, I think personally is a dying breed of leaders, but we still encounter them. Leaders like that think <laughs> that um, involvement and participation um, in solving the problem is actually chaos. It scares the hell out of them. Um, and so 
this is why it's not top down. It's not bottom up. It's not just, it's not one way or the other. It's a mix of things. It's very important in our, in our work is having leadership set up the constraints, the parameters and the, and, and the objectives or the requirements um, and setting up a playing field that then binds and bounds people in, in, into as they engage their organization to say, you need to solve a problem to, ad- to address this or that or within this constraint. And so it's a, it's a beautiful way, uh, an eloquent way of basically both top down and bottom up without having leaders being involved in micro detail that they should never be involved in in the first place. Now I want to talk about I want to talk about something underneath people support what they help to create, which is the antithesis of what you said is what's wrong with change management, what's wrong with top down approaches to change, or um, um, and I, I talked about compliance and telling and cajoling. Um, people are naturally reluctant, given that reluctant melts away as they expend their blood, sweat, tears, and their collective genius to solve a problem. They can only be reluctant for so long as they're seeing their solutions come to life and those solutions then potentially have the uh, being implemented in the organization. Um, It's about human motivation. It's about... uh, genuine and authentic desire to have people who are part of the organization be part of that solution. Not every, and it's, it's not, it's not always consensus. It's not unanimity. There are hard decisions that have to be made based on trade-offs and what's best for the business. But what it does for people is it engages them at the core of their humanity. 99% of people out there in the workplace want to make a difference, a positive difference in the world. And many times, outside of our families and and, and what we do in our personal lives, we do that through our work. And so the opportunity to tap into this collective vein of, of doing good, of making a difference, of leaving a lasting mark, pun intended, um, on an organization that you can step back 10 years later and say, you see that? See the way we've organized that part of the business over there? That was my idea. And see how great it's working. I, I will tell you, Anissa, it is, it is, it is, um, it is like tap, tapping into collective positive energy of humanity to watch that happen. When people are designing themselves out of a job because the job that they do today is not needed and they're willing to put themselves out there and say, for collective good, this is what's needed. Yeah, this no ego involved. Me, no, I'm happy to step into, into the ambiguity. Now, that doesn't just happen. You can't just make that happen. There has to be set up. There has to be all the work done in advance of that. But what I'm talking about here is human motivation. So Marilyn, uh, Marilyn Emery, so the Emerys, um, back in the 60s, 70s, come up with the psychological 
six psychological requirements for effective work, which is basically the early work to all this engagement work that we now made an entire cottage industry about. Um, but it basically, one of their six requirements for um, for uh, psychological requirements for effective work for people to, is making a positive difference, not only for me, but also for the organization I work for and the, and the world around me. People support that we help to create taps right into that, particularly when it's done genuinely and it's not consultant, uh, it's not consultant led, it's not us. Let me give you a let me give you a contrary example. The large firms will go into an organization and they'll do these fall brainstorming or fake brainstorming sessions. And what they'll do is they'll they'll take all this information. And let's brainstorm what we could do, and then they document it and they send it off to their their people in India or some other country who who do basically all the all the slides. And they'll come back and basically. They'll, they'll slot in all the solutions that they already did for all their previous customers. And they say, here's the answer. And people go, well, how'd you get to that? That's not what I'm talking about here. People support what they help create. What I'm talking about is people aren't brainstorming. They're actually solving, working through, solving, making trade-offs, debating, challenging. And they're working together in ways that they rarely work together on a day-in, day-out basis. Which is, which is another common feature to our operating, mo to our operating model um, work and, and this thing called people support what they help create. It's to change the way people are working together to solve big, hairy, complex, complicated problems for the organization. Yeah, and it's just, thanks. it's just an honor to be part of that. Sorry. No, no, no worries. Um, I'm, thanks for that. I'm also wondering what, what strategies or approaches have you seen implemented that work really well in terms of cultivating, uh, creating culture of participation? So you just tapped into so many outcomes of that people uh, uh, support what they've helped create. But like, how can you get to that place, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what you're pulling for. Can maybe you can restate the question differently, and and because uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go off the wrong road here. Maybe you can. Yeah. So, how can you basically cultivate a culture of participation? Um, well, um, a couple things. Number one is, um, in in the spirit of Nike, is just do it. Um, You know, there's we use this great model, um, Nelson Noggle. I got to give him Dr. Dr. Noggle. We call him N squared because he has uh, two N's to his name. Um, uh, wonderful man, mentor for me. Um, Nelson, if you're listening to this, um, thank you for all your support over the years. Um, Nelson came up with what's called the Bark model, which is based on uh, some Lewin, early Kurt Lewin's work. And the BARC model has to do with beliefs, B-A-R-C stands for beliefs, actions, results, consequences. Um, one of the pieces of work that has to happen for leaders is they have to examine their beliefs around involving people to solve real problems, uh, their own people to solve real problems. There is a belief sometimes that an external can do it better. Um, sometimes 
25% of the time, that may be true. The other piece is leaders have a fundamental belief that um, a pair of hands, uh, the higher in a pair of hands, um, because their people are busy. Um, and while, why, um, while I agree with understanding the capacity of individuals and groups to, to take on additional work, um, I think it's life-giving and vital, as in vitality, to basically engage people in solving problems that they face on a day-in, day-out basis. Um, uh, and it, for them, it, it, it has, uh, I think, significant meaning. So let me let me kind of try to summarize on how do you create a culture of participation because I I do think like let's not let's not make this more complicated than it is. Number one is leaders have to examine what they believe about that and they have to understand that some of their beliefs may be inhibiting or getting in the way. Um, and I've seen this a dozen times and I've seen leaders drastically change as a result and I've also seen leaders get totally scared. Um, if, if you think, uh, Anissa, using the example of a project that we've been working on with, with Liz, um, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a fantastic spirit and fundamentally believes at her core that collectively they can come up with a better solution. And I think they have than, um, um, than someone from the outside coming and telling them what to do. Plus, what it's done is jump-started their culture. It's demanded a different way of being, and they define that um, as part of early work, the, the future culture, ways of working and behaviors are defined so that... Yeah, totally. It's so absolute, that, like absolute so role model. Critical, right? Yeah. But it's not, just, uh, it's not just a leader's job because for some people, some people find working collaboratively very difficult. So it really requires... The organization to stand up and say, here's where we're going. Here's what we need from each other. Recognizing, hey, some of you are going to love this and some of you are going to choose not to, are going to make a different choice. And we're going to figure out a way for you to come and go uh, or stay or go based on what works for you. But going in this direction is not an option, right? We're going in this direction. So the other piece I would say about culture is culture is not a program. Culture is an output of an uh, operating model redesign. Tell There's me more. no such thing as culture program. I don't care what you do. And you can change all the leaders you want and you can put in training programs and that might have some impact on the culture, but it will not change the culture. So our wisdom of you either design for the culture you want or you get what you get. And the way you design for it is by putting in the operating model that is going to drive the kind of culture that you want. Um, and so um, I think that's core and fits nicely, almost like an Oreo cookie uh, uh, with uh, people support, what they help to create and the importance of uh, people participating and involved, being involved in, the, in fixing and solving problems in their own business. I think the there's so many things that I could talk about here around people support what they help to create. But one of the things um, you forgot to ask me, and I want to make sure we address this before I talk about resistance to change, is the role of the consultant 
in a genuine, authentic uh, oh, participation. Oh, yeah, of course. There was that question about the expert consultant. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good go. Um, <laughs> consultants are bred to, to add value. And the way they add value is by talking and showing and doing and doing stuff. That is antithetical to people support that they help to create. It's complete opposite. The way that we show value is by actually guiding them through a rigorous process. And, the, and ultimately, the customer may say to us, well, we didn't need you anyway. Yeah, that's just the perfect the, antidote, yeah. Which is sometimes the greatest compliment. Yeah. We know how hard we're working. We know what we're doing in behind the scenes. We know how we're setting up the right conditions. We know all the things that we're doing to intervene in the system. Yet ultimately, the greatest compliment we can get from a customer is saying, we didn't need you anyway, which is really another way of saying, in many ways, we, we, we're based on Edgar Schein's work. Um, we, we're really based on process consultation, even though we have de deep, deep, uh, and broad experience in conducting uh, operating model redesigns and doing it collaboratively. Um, and it's critical that our consultants believe it in their heart and understand the difference between being genuine and authentic and disingenuine and, 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 and inauthentic uh, and in showing up in our work and doing this work. So anyway, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about that because it's hard for some consultants to make that jump, particularly when they come from large consultant houses and we bring them in. They're like, uh, well, how do I show value? Mindset. Yeah, it's an absolutely different mindset because I think it's also a different reward system, isn't it? It's like, well, what it's a is... different mindset. It's also a different set of behaviors. 100% as an yeah, outcome. It's totally up. Yeah. It's totally right. And, 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 and when you exactly. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's fun to watch, and some people make it and some people don't. But I, I think it's important to address that. Lastly, here, you know, tying it all back to resistance to change, or what would be the opposite of the resistance to change is the desire to change, the motivation to change. Yeah. yeah. When you imply, when you apply people support what they help to create in a genuine and authentic manner, what it drives is a motivation to change and a sustainability and stickiness that is off the charts. In fact, what it drives is change where people in the organization are driving the change and not the leader. And, and people are, can't wait to get the change in place because they're so excited about what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, we sometimes have to sort of tell people to, well, not back off, but sort of calm down, just slow be down, calm. Slow down, <laughs> slow down, slow down, right. yeah. Well, that's right, slow down one step at a time. Um, uh, which is, which is actually, it, when you really think about it, is a gift. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's an indicator. Yeah. Right? It's an indicator. You know, how fast can we do this? And I have stories about where leaders got scared. Pull, I've got two or three stories about where leaders get, got scared, pulled out of the design process. But yet people still implemented the things that they came up with. They found a way around it to figure it out and make wow. things happen. Can you bring one of those to life before we close? Well, I can. And it's relevant to a project that we have going on now. Um, I can't 
name companies or anything, but uh, essentially we were doing a redesign of a business unit for a um, uh, commercial and defense organization. Um, and um, we were in detailed design and stepping into transition planning. And the engineering director um, was losing his, his over 300 resources because we were going to uh, cross-functional teams on the front line. And a lot of those level one, level two engineering resources, technicians, operators, were going to be joining technicians and operators in the work rather than having them. So um, 300 FTE, you mean? So that's Yeah, 300 it, FTE got engineers. Got it. His organization <laughs> was going down to 80 or less than 80, which for some men... You know, size, it sizes everything. Gosh. Well, that's a different, yeah, don't touch that. And he said, that's a different yeah, podcast. No, no, I know. That's a totally different podcast. <laughs> Slippery slope. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, but people listening to this will laugh at it because it's true. You know, for leaders, sometimes yeah, it's about how many egos. people report to them. Anyway, uh, this engineering, <coughs> engineering director was friends with a board member at the organization, went end around um, the two leaders, the executive sponsors leading this, um, and uh, and basically got the got was able to get the project stopped. Now, you can appreciate this, Anissa. We've been through current state review, foundation phase concept design phase with over 300 engineers in a room in Miami in seven days, we did a concept design um, and then detailed design. And we did this from January to March, all of this from January to March, so in three months. This board member stopped the project, relieved and or fired or got rid of um, the two leaders who were the executive sponsors, and they went back to business as usual, except what happened was all the really good solutions were kept, and they implemented them just one by one in a kind of Machiavellian kind of way, um, and ultimately ended up implementing 80% of the operating model, new operating model. They just went for it. Yeah, because they just made so much sense. It just made commercially, economically, financially, engage, uh, and they psychologically. And they helped create it, so they supported it. Exactly right. right. Back exactly to your right. point. So, yeah. you know, you once you start down this road, it becomes like a snowball going downhill, right? It's, it, it leads from a little snowflake into a, a lot of snowflakes into a potential avalanche of energy and motivation and desire to want to make their world better. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, I also, th I also would like to add there. I think what I've what I've also noticed is is uh, when people get sort of um, work with us in terms of doing this in a proactive way and participative and collaborative and 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 really go through that process uh, where we don't spoon feed, we don't tell them what the solution is and all of that. People kind of get used to. Oh, hang on a minute. But I'm so used to not necessarily having the time to make sense of things. So there's no sense making time. 
because right. you're in a rat, you're a rat in a race, just sort of biased towards action, just go, 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 go. Uh, the number's going down, go, 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 we need to run faster. But really, this, this process allows people to sort of step back and make sense of, of where they are at and also how to imagine the future and how to build that future. And, and well, what's, beautiful that, about what, what's beautiful about what you're saying is we create, I call it the container. We create a container or a space for people psychologically to examine their own motivations, what's needed for work, make sense of things, look at data. Uh, and not just hard data. Look, look at look at data such as the way we behave and the way we work together, uh, and and really what's important and the metrics. We leave no stone unturned, and this sense making <laughs> is a critical part of our human of our human existence. Right um, before we can change, we have to make sense of it in our own way, given the totality of our experience. So you've you've hit it, and before we can take action, we have to make we have to reconcile. So we have to go from making sense of it to generalizing to the rest of the world, and then answer the question for ourselves: How does this change my global view of things? Right? I and I can't. You can't take action. People aren't spurred into action until they go through those psycho that psychological journey. And what's at the core of our design work? is taking that psychological journey and creating enough space, which is why people say, well, how many workshops is this? Well, it might be three, it might be five. Because you know what? Uh, once you put these things in the oven, things don't always cook as quickly as you think they're going to cook and people yeah, stumble exactly. across things, right? So there's, yeah. a, there's a bit of emergent design, but that is about trust in the consulting team. And we, have, we now have so much credibility behind us as, as a firm, uh, which is why... Um, there's nobody else that has the credibility uh, that we have in terms of doing this. Anyways, like let's this. also stay humble. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I am humble. But the fact oh, is, so we, we have been around the block uh, and we have been around the block and it's easy. There's not much we haven't seen. And no, no, I, I, totally, and, I totally get that. In, totally in, get in that. all humbleness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm both all humble and confident. Right. Um, and 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 with that said, is anything other than what we've talked about for the last 45 minutes, an hour um, is really um, sets up resistance to change. You know, th this whole thing around um, change management, manipulation, telling, cajoling, um, convincing, um, uh, top down only um, all of these things, all they do is set up resistance to change. And it's why you get no stickiness, you get no sustainability. And no real change. And no real Thank change, you for that. right. Yeah. All right, we're going to close. Um, Mark, thanks for that. I um, want to ask you, in addition to the content that you've referred, the titles that you gave that we are going to pop in the show notes, on this topic of how to engage with, um, how to engage people in organizations to, to problem solve, what is one book or article you would absolutely recommend if people want to continue to read? I think I would. I think I would um, recommend if people want to get into substantive detail as a book by Fred Marilyn Emery called Participative Design. Um, published 
I think in the eighties or nineties. Um, it's a, it's a, has a blue cover, light kind of baby blue cover. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Thanks. it's pretty technical. Um, it's pretty, um, and it's pretty substantive, but there are, um, there's a great book out, uh, not just because we're in it, um, or I'm in it. Um, it's a good book by, uh, Ron Purser and, uh, Ron Purser and Steve Cabana. Published in 1997, it was one of the New York Times top 10 business books for 97 or 98, and it's all um, it's and it's based on real examples of participative design of, of, of involvement, and it uses one example after another after another um, on the marks um, redesign of an American Express business unit. Um, has a three-page sidebar in there as an example, but it's examples across consulting firms doing this work. Um, and um, it's in our bibliography, um, Anissa, and I, I've, I've, I, the name escapes me, and, and uh, apologies, but Kabana and Purser, E-U-R-S-E-R, um, cool. uh, is a really good book and really practical examples. Lovely, thank you. Hey, Mark, thank you so much. This thanks for kicking off uh, the first podcast um, with me. And um, yeah, it was actually really nice to hear so many new things, things I didn't know about you before or about your experience. So although we've been working together for for two years now, it's quite nice to to hear all of that and and the richness of of your experience. So thank you for that. Thanks for having me, Anissa, and I I, I appreciate it as well. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next time for another engaging conversation on everything operating model and org design. Take care.